Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion, even in my absence. Today is June 5th, 2017, and this is episode 204. My name is Scott Magnus. And I'm Jake English. And on today's show, I'm going to pull you back from Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend. I thought we had a rule on the singing. Or is that just Derek Arnold? That's just Derek Arnold. We'll also say goodbye to our big boy. Wave it bye-bye. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Jake, what are you imbibing on this week? Let me first say it's not my fault. That always starts off so well um, for a brand new show. It's not my fault. So um, I am imbibing Bud Light Lime this evening. Are those in skinny cans as well? Wait for it. Yeah. So my wife... Are those actually 12 ounces or are they like 10.2ers? Uh, 12. This is a full, this is a 12, uh, full 12 ounces of, of whatever it is. This is. But for small hands. My, my, <laughs> my wife went to the beach girls weekend. All right. She, uh, she brought this home because, and this is the real story. The person that bought this beer left and no one else wanted to take it home. Mm. And so she said, I, I know who will drink that. I someone that will drink that. And so... I have. This week, I have uh, leftover, warmed, then cold, then warmed, then cold, Bud Light Lime. All right. I'm doing a Jack Daniels single barrel rye whiskey um, with some whiskey stones inside the glass. So Very nice. Someone had to spruce this up a little bit this I appreciate evening. you cl- classing it up because I'm drinking a Bud Light Lime with a green, ta- uh, green tab. Congratulations. So if anyone else wants to figure out what Jake is drinking on a... On a weekly basis, and by the looks of it, it'll be it's, Bud Light Lime. It's usually not this. Uh, you can check him out at Jake E four zero two five. You can check me out at M A G N eight six zero six. And with that, let's go ahead and dabble over into the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Go ahead. Give something to say. Scotty, careful audiophiles will realize that last week I could not find this exact clip of Doc McStuffins. And so we had a different episode's intro to the medical wing last week. Well, no wonder we got a lot of flack about that last <laughs> week. Where do you get such wonderful toys? All right. There's really not a whole lot going on. Uh, Britain, Flaherty, uh, Santander, we've talked about all that. But Scott, I ask you this. Sure. Did we use all of our good ball jokes on Caleb Joseph? Uh, well, if not, we just castrated beef, so. Jeez. <laughs> to the day, a year to the day of Caleb Joseph's 
uh, testicular injury. Our catcher, Wellington Castillo, the beef, comes down with a not quite as bad testicular injury. I think they're calling that a groin contusion, and I've also heard the word hematoma thrown around. Hmm. Uh, Doesn't sound good. I think the real question is this. Will he or will he not be our next spokesman for nutshells? I'm going to say no. I think Caleb Joseph has that market um, cornered, basically. The ball is in his court, basically. (laughs) It's almost like we don't even script these. They just come right out, right out of my mouth, the balls. (laughs) We tee them up and we knock them down. Welcome back, Scott. It's ball talk on Bird's Eye View. Ball talk on Bird's Eye View. Is he ever going to be back? What's the deal? Uh, Zach Burton, what I find interesting is uh, the last update that I can come across about Zach Burton was on May 30th. Um, and that's when he was basically throwing on flat ground with no setbacks. Um, it is June 5th now, and we don't hear anything. Um, concerned at all, Jake, that we're not hearing um, any updates whatsoever? Uh, it's not the lack of updates that, that has me concerned. It's the injury in itself. Yeah, maybe- as soon as he went back down, I was like, Murp. no, this yeah. is bad news. May 30th. I mean, I understand it's less than a week, but... Honestly, I think they just gave us that 45 to 60 day timetable so that we'd forget about him. Well, I mean, if you go back to where he was originally put on the DL, he was put on the DL, what, um, May 9th. Um, but you look at it now and you're like, okay, we're at close to 30 days at this point. So in two weeks, he should be coming back if it's a 45 day because Zach Burton clearly said in his interviews, he's like, hey, I didn't hear anything about 60 days. There's no way it's going to be 60 days. Certainly seems like it's going to be 60 days. It's what it feels like. That is what it feels like. All right. Well, um, yeah, that's that's disappointing. That's the best way to describe it. Um, You know what I was also disappointing this week? 140 characters less this week on the Twitters. Let's go through them. All right. First, I want to take a tweet from uh, listener David Piskorik. Excuse me if I mangled that name at david piscork who sent us a message said bird's eye view bal keeping a scorebook equals kids pay attention the whole game thumbs up emoji that's different from fire emoji scotty hashtag dad baseball tip and there's a picture of two lovely children doing just that keeping score uh david you have you have shamed me slash challenged me slash inspired me i'm going to uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna teach henry to score this week I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, Dad, great job. Yeah. All right. So uh, the one thing I wanted to look at this week from the tweets um, was, um, well, this ball was demolished. The tweets. How old are we? We are super old. Tweet comes from John Mioli. At John Mioli, of course, Baltimore Sun beat writer for the Orioles. Uh, No one has hit the second deck here since August 7, 2011, when Mark Reynolds did. This is the at StatCast, and it was 114 miles per hour, 27-degree launch angle, a 465-foot home run that hit the second deck. Didn't get caught into the second deck, but at least hit the facade of the second deck. It's pretty crazy. 465 is a pretty impressive number, right? And Absolutely. it just grazed the second deck. Yes. That's a kind of, it's kind of a deep shot. And you think about some of the deep shots we see. I mean, Trumbo and Scope hits, you know, big majestic home runs. But, you know, they get there maybe to the edge of the, the first section sure. of the lower deck. To hit the upper deck, it's pretty yummy. Wow. Think about this, though. Yeah. 465 right down the line, right? Yeah. If Manny Machado was a left-handed hitter. Yeah, it would have ended up on Utah Street. It's 439 down the line to the <laughs> warehouse, my friend. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of John Maoli, I want to look at a tweet that comes not from John, 
uh, but from Orioles Uncensored, uh, an excellent Orioles podcast. You should make sure you check them out at O's Uncensored. Hey, at John Mioli, could you ask Buck? So, Abaldo, WTF. And when he gives you a lame ass answer to follow up, uh, follow up with, but seriously, WTF. I think it's uh, it's a solid question. Solid question. Um, next week goes into the many looks of cow broken down by batting average. The tweet came out from at batting stance guy. Uh, and it was Calvin's game streak began 35 years ago today. His batting average for each stance. And it's a really kind of unique thing where it goes through all of Cal stances and puts into batting average. But I asked the question, why batting average? Why not OPS and or Roba and or weighted runs created plus. So it was 35 years ago today. Yes. Cal Ripken taught the fans to play. Sure. All right. Um, 50 years, by the way. Sergeant Pepper, June 1st. Look it up, folks. Uh, next tweet comes Do you really out. think anybody in this show doesn't realize that? We're big with the kids. Do you Scott. realize how much they promoted the heck of that on NPR? If well, people are not listening to us on NPR, then I'm not sure what you're doing, folks. We're big with the kids. Uh, Mike Huge Pichelli. with the kids. Huge. Huge. Mike Pacellio uh, sent out a tweet that I loved, and Scott, I wanted to see if you loved it as much as I did. The best thing you can do is hit the ball hard. The second best thing you can do is hit the ball in the air. If you can't, don't. And this tweet is accompanied with an image of a graph that shows basically two things. Balls hit over 95 miles an hour, exit velocity, I assume. Balls hit under 95 miles an hour. And if you look at the, the launch angle, there is a huge peak if you hit the ball hard and in the air where it doesn't exist if you don't hit the ball hard. It seems to me that there was a uh, kerfuffle on on the baseball Twitters this week where people were arguing with one another as to whether or not we should be telling hitters to hit the ball in the air. And I, I think Mike hit it on the head where he said, no, we're not saying hit the ball in the air. We're saying hit it hard. And if you can hit it hard, hitting into the air and hard is better than not. Yeah. Am I reading that right? That's basically right. I mean, the big kerfuffle was uh, about the whole aspect of line drives, hit for line drives, hit line drives, home runs will come. Um, and that's fine if you are a line drive slap hitter. But the other aspect is if you can get a, a launch on it and you can really, again, hit that launch angle of anywhere between 10 to, we'll call it 35 degrees, uh, you should go ahead and do so because uh, that's a really great way to get extra base hits and or home runs. Now, eventually... Um, if you continue to try to get that launch angle up, you're eventually going to start doing infield fly balls and or pop outs, basically, which I think was the main concern from the line drive community. But in reality, you might as well go ahead and go for the three extremes, which is home runs, strikeouts and walks. I'm really glad you said that because I was going to ask if trying for the 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 peak, because if you look at this graph, there's a peak. It's, sure. it's you know, just under 30 degrees of launch angle. And and um, over 95 miles an hour. There's a reason why we see most home runs go out at 20 to 30 degrees. If you shoot for the peak, sure. doesn't it also mean that you, this uppercut swing of yours is likely to result in a long swing and a whiff? Who says it's going to be an uppercut swing? I did just then. Yeah. You should go back and watch Josh Donaldson a little bit, even though he wears a Blue Jays uniform. He has no uppercut swing, but still hits the ball at a 20 to 30 degree launch angle a lot of times. So... But going back to the the dumb or the the less dumb part of my question, sure. Does that necessarily lead to the three outcomes? Uh, it, it it can. Um, the other aspect is too. Um, maybe some people shouldn't be 
going for a launch angle all the time. For example, there are certain people that, you know, like J.J. Hardy should not be trying to target launch sure. angle because, again, it makes no sense for him because he's never going to be able to hit above 95 miles per hour um, a, a significant amount of time. So if you cannot achieve that exit velocity as per this graph and you're going to be less than 95 miles per hour, um, then you're going to get out a lot is the best way to describe it. So unless you can hit the ball with a lot of pop, then you should be launching it. But if not, and you're just kind of a Hunsu Kim type of player, then you should be a slap hitter and try to get line drives. Pretty pretty straightforward. It's almost as if data backs up the things that we can see with our eyes. It's almost like physics makes sense. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. All right. Well, um, speaking about getting ahead of ourselves, I was gone for one week. and um, I missed you. You made a mockery of this show, more so than normal. And uh, I think it's time that we step on back into reality and go through... um, well, let me give some light to these dark ages that you are for putting on to us. So, folks, I woke up and uh, I listened to the podcast uh, on a Thursday. A day late. A day late, if you will. Wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was two days late, though. It was because it came imagine. out Wednesday evening, I it believe it was. Yeah. yeah. So, I woke up on a Thursday morning and said, hey, it's a great time to listen to a podcast. And uh, I'm listening to Jake and Charlie, and I'm really hoping that there will be some um, some Ultimate Frisbee talk a little bit and maybe some Arrested Development mentions. But instead, I am left in with a, a bitter taste in my mouth that the end was nigh and that all things were crumbling in front of us. And um, it was the sky may have been falling. And, and it, it was time to basically grab your ankles and uh, kiss the world goodbye, basically. Thank uh, you, sir. May I have another? Yeah. Some strong overreaction once again from Jake English and Charlie Hoppus, which just goes again to show. That if you put two liberal arts majors together, <laughs> bad things can happen. Uh, that being said... The, we were feeling emotions, Scott. We were feeling emotions. Well, Baltimore has been feeling emotions um, due to the wishy-washy uh, behavior of the Baltimore Orioles. After a fabulous April, we were uh, left with some not-so-lovely totals in May. Um, and, and the Orioles currently sit with a 5-27 winning percentage, which would yield them about an 85-win season, which, folks... It's kind of what we expected is the Orioles were not going to be this juggernaut that they were in April, whether they're going to win close to 100 games. We figured that they'd be a mid-80s, at best, low-90s team. And uh, that's certainly better than a lot of the other projection systems put it out there, as Pagoda did, or even Fangraphs did. This is not that surprising. Um, I, 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 I come back to the question of, haven't we been here before to a certain regard? Um, the Orioles are once again in this position of saying, are we good or are we not good? And let me go through some of the years. 2016, 32 and 23, 582 winning percentage. 2015, 25 and 29, 463 winning percentage. 2014, 30 and 28, a 517 winning percentage. 2013, 33, 26, 559. 2012, 31 and 24, a 564 winning percentage. So again, the Orioles in the past few years have never been a team like they were in April with a 652 winning percentage. They've been, yeah, mid 80s, early 90s team in terms of, you know, at this point of the season. 
Certainly not the best team in the league, um, but right there in the race to potentially be in, in the aspect of winning a division. So I ask you, Jake, what are you concerned about? Well, I think that the <clears throat> the concern during May was that everything that could have gone wrong did, right? And sure. I think I think the thing that was difficult at that time was to be able to see a path forward where the things that were having happening on a regular basis would stop happening, mm-hmm. right? And you look at uh you look at what was taking place and it was similar to the dark ages in the fact that the team was not able to contain mistakes and just poor uh outcome, right? And that was the difference and I think I said this last week. The difference between 2012 and onward is that losing streaks were okay, you lost four games, then you won three, then you lost another two, then you won four. Sure. Instead of you lose, you know, three of seven. Sure. Six of 19. You know, just it gets absurd and absurd and absurd. Because in the old days, you go back and you look at a month and you say, oh my God, we only won a couple of games. And May was not that bad, right? It wasn't that bad at all. But looking at the series, you know, series by series sure. by series, they were losing series. They were finding ways to lose. And there was no part of the team that you could look at and say, oh, they just haven't hit their stride yet. We'll be okay. Or, well, at least the bullpen is doing well. Or at least the hitting is doing well. Or at least the starting pitching is doing well. So if those others kind of climb along, we'll be okay. It I, looked for a little bit like the wheels had officially come off. I understand what you're saying. It was a compounding effect. It sure. was uh, a situation where... Uh, we as a, a fan base had watched the Orioles for these past few years and had become accustomed, as it were, to basically saying, we have a great bullpen. It is one of the top ones um, in all of American League. And we are not accustomed to um, blowing leads and or um, basically throwing away a game. Mm-hmm. To which I raise you a Tommy Hunter and a Jim Johnson. I think it's one of those situations where if you go back and look at 2016, it gives the prevalence of how good Zach Burton was and how good Brock Brock was during that first half of the season. And in the past years, that hasn't been the case. We haven't had um, a dominant performance like that. Um, We've had blown saves. We've had um, a situation where the rotation and the bullpen has had to been shuffled around. And we're certainly in that position right now. And it certainly will help if and when Zach Burton can come back. But there's nothing that strikes me about this season so far in terms of um, the bullpen, as it were, that is any different than um, the rest of the season. I also was looking at the um, starting pitching, and I know that's a dangerous game to play. But I look at this season, and it reminds me so much of 2014. At the beginning of 2014, for that first half, the Orioles were one of the worst starting rotations in all of baseball. They posted a 4.57 FIP and a 4.36 XFIP, um, which put them behind the Rangers and the White Sox and the Twins. And similarly in 2017, not quite as bad, but from a FIP standpoint, they're at 4.98, which actually ranks them 12th in all the American League. And there's a huge dichotomy between the middle of the pack teams where let's look at the Blue Jays, for example, have a 4.32 FIP and the Orioles have a 4.98 FIP. So, I talked about it at the beginning of the season. The Orioles need to be in that middle-tier group in order for them to be able to competitive playoff team. Do I think this team is a 4.98 FIP team? No, I don't. I think that if you look at Kevin Gossman and you look at even Wade Miley, I think everything will start to come back into place. I'm not sure about Chris Tillman yet, 
but I, I think I don't think the starting pitching is as bad as we have seen it be to this point. All right, I want to come back to that point. That's fine. But I want to share something with you that I I hate to admit it. Okay. I looked something up before we got together. <gasps> okay. I looked back at 2014. Sure. Because I do think that at least where we are in the standings uh, has some similarities. Let's look back at this time of the year in 2014 and what we were dealing with. We were dealing with a 15-game stretch at right around this this time uh, of the year and in 2014 in which the team went 6-9. and nine, And during that time, the Orioles were scoring just 3.1 runs a game. And they were giving up 5.8. And this is just the starters. That's a slobber knocker. Yeah. And, and if you look at what was going on in the in the team at this time we were just turning to johan santana hoping that he would be able to do something useful to eat up a few innings for this rotation so here we are in 2016 2017 yeah in 2017 and we're turning to edwin jackson right (laughs) we we have questions with tillman Right, we're just sure. about ready to give up on Abaldo Jimenez. We have big questions as far as Kevin Gosman. He's just not been effective this season. Sure, right. We're really coming down to can Bundy uh, shoulder the load? Can oh god, I used the word shoulder. Uh, can Wade Miley keep doing what he's doing? Can Alec Asher be a fifth starter in this league? And do we have enough at Norfolk to be able to patch together the rest? To be honest with you, the questions are really not that much different now than they were when this team won ninety six games. Right. Exactly. I'm not saying they're going to win 96 games, but I do think that your your point is valid in the fact that this is the team that has all the problems. However, I will say that if you look at the 2014 bullpen versus this bullpen, which do you feel better about? Uh, I feel much better about the 2014 bullpen, and we'll get to that in a little bit, and that's something that I think needs to be discussed. Um but the other thing I was looking at, too, outside of just pitching, was I'm looking at the um, offense. And I feel like the, everyone in Baltimore has been giving the offense a hard time in terms of strikeouts and everything. But it took them sort of looking at their offensive performance. I don't really consider it to be that different than a, a typical Orioles offense. This is who the guys are. They are a team that is going to have 20-plus per percent in terms of a K rate. They're not going to walk a lot, so their base percentage is not going to be that great. But they're going to have a lot of extra base hits and home runs. And in fact, the home runs really haven't come yet um, to a significant quantity. So I think we saw with the temperatures warming up at Camden Yards that the Orioles are starting to hit more home runs at a pace that we're more accustomed to. I think that the Orioles are in a perfect position going into the summer um, where they've got a lot of people in the middle of their lineup, such as Manny Machado, Mark Trumbo, Adam Jones, Chris Davis, who are going to start hitting the ball with that 95 plus miles per hour and that decent launch angle. And we're going to see a lot of home runs start to pick up um, over the next few weeks and months. Doesn't it really come down to whether or not we're going to get improvements from certain key players? Yes. And I think it's also the situation which we talked about in 2014, which was every single point, um, a certain player stepped up. And during mm-hmm. that dark stretch that we talked about in May, no one really stepped up to a significant degree. So for example, um, at the beginning of the season, it was Trey Mancini. The question is, for June, is it going to be Manny Machado or Mark Trumbo or Adam Jones or is somebody else going to step up and basically take this team on their shoulders and lead them through? In 2014, it was Cruz and then Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce was amazing. And then Manny Machado. And then it went back to Nelson Cruz to end the season. Um, But again, it has to be this situation where somebody goes on fire um, and basically becomes basically untouchable. Can we talk about the starters? 
Sure, we can go back and talk about the starters. Um, what do you think about Tillman? Is he gonna is he gonna be able to gut out this season? I think he's even gonna be able to gut out the season. I just don't think we're you can expect anything from him from what he was like last year. Can you so expect improvement from what he's doing now? I can, and I think we've seen that. I think we've seen that he's not quite the Chris Tillman of old, um, but he's certainly the Chris Tillman of being able to gut through and potentially be a fourth or fifth starter. It seemed like there was some velocity improvement in his last start, and uh, I listened to it on the ball games or on, on the radio, so I didn't get to see the ball game. Uh, but did the velocity look any better, or was he as lost as he had been in his previous starts? Um, it was a little bit better. Um, looking at his velocity for the game, uh, it was 90 miles per hour going into this game, and in this game it was 91.3. So a, a slight uptick mm-hmm. is the best way to describe it. Um, still not quite what he was at the beginning of last season where he was floating around the upper 92 to lower 93s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so still, I do think there's some fatigue is the best way to describe it in that shoulder. Which is more likely, that Kevin Gosman regains form or that Wade Miley continues to pitch effectively throughout the season? Um... Here's what I'll say to that. I don't think Kevin Gossman is going to get back to what we thought he was going to be, but I also don't think Wade Miley is going to be as good as he is. I'm going to say that they get to basically being about the same pitcher, which is disappointing. You think that's a bad year for Kevin Gossman, or do you think this is his ceiling? I think this is a bad season for Kevin Gossman. I think he'll basically get better eventually, but I'm not sure what's going on this year. He just doesn't seem to have that control and command of some of his pitches. And maybe it'll come on and maybe the Abaldo Jimenez effect has basically spread to him for a little bit. Um, But I think Kevin Gossman will get it turned around. I just don't think it's going to be that ace-like season that we all thought it was going to be. You mentioned his name. I'll I'll go there. Abaldo Jimenez. Sure. Do they DFA him at some point to make room in the bullpen for people that can actually pitch? Or do you think he gets another shot in the rotation when somebody falters? It's all a matter of time now. It's all a matter of time. And I think the dominoes are being set up. I think uh, certain spots are being freed up on the 40-man roster. I think it's just, it's coming at this point. So, All right. But what I'm hearing from you is that all hope is not lost and that when we turn the calendar page, maybe good things are ahead of us. Here's the thing. We came into the season and we knew um, there was nobody on this club that was probably going to be an ace except for Kevin Gossman. We thought, okay, We've got a bunch of three, fours, and fives at best, and then we've got Kevin Gossman, and hopefully Dylan Bundy doesn't have his arm fall off. We still hope that. In return, we basically said, well, Kevin Gossman is really not pitching that great. He's number three, four, or five, but Dylan Bundy has turned into an ace is the best way to put it. So if you flip-flop the aspect of your expectations coming into the season, you basically still have a top 30 pitcher um, that is pitching for you, and you've got a bunch of other meh pitchers is the best way to describe it, which... It's pretty much exactly what you expected. The problem that you get into is you're being weighted down by someone that is negatively impacting you, which is Abaldo Jimenez. Abaldo Jimenez, if once he comes out of the starting rotation and you put Alec Asher in and or somewhere else, um, this rotation improves dramatically. So Abaldo Jimenez should not even be sniffing the uh, starting rotation anytime soon. Can I, uh, can I Shanghai the conversation for just one last thing? Sure. We're talking about 2014 specifically. Yeah. Um, but things are not as bad as they could look because at this time mm-hmm. in 2014, it was, uh, it was June 8th. Sure. We had to deal with something completely outside of starting pitching and the offensive production and the bullpen. 
It was June 8th, 2014. The man in Machado threw a bat oh, in Oakland. Oh, yeah. And we're not dealing with that right now. Yeah. We're not dealing with character issues. Man, that was a really bad season for him. <laughs> I know, right? Being suspended, then not being able to play in the playoffs. Yeah, that's that was a rough season for him. But, uh, you know, here we are. And uh, it's a different season, different Manny Machado, different problems. But uh, if I'm if I'm picking up what you're laying down, the same character of team. Sure. And the other thing I'd point out too is we mentioned this briefly about um, the bullpen, and I said I don't think the bullpen is quite where it needs to be, but I don't think it's as bad as um, we we think it is as well. So here's what I'll say to that is. I think that the Orioles should be um, looking extensively right now to potentially upgrade their bullpen uh, with a trade. Um, I think that bringing in someone that can um, work the seventh inning and or eighth inning and uh, relieve a little bit of wear and tear on Darren O'Day and Brad Rock is going to be necessary. And even if Zach Burton comes back and pitches lights out, it'll be be a significant benefit going forward. The Orioles need to figure out which relief pitcher is going to be out there and I know the relief pitchers are going to get overpaid in terms of a trade value, but I do think that it's that small incremental move that can make a big difference. We saw it in 2014 with going out and getting Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller completely changed the dynamic of the second half of the 2014 season. And, you know, that team was good, but it wasn't as good as they were before Andrew Miller. And I know it's hard to look back now and say, oh, well, we don't have Eduardo Rodriguez in the organization. But you look at the way the Orioles played in August and September with Andrew Miller, and they were unbeatable. In order to become unbeatable again, they need to go out and get one of those top relief pitchers. You want to hear something crazy? Sure. Andrew Miller only pitched 20 innings for the Orioles in the regular season. I know. But you're not wrong. Right. Everything that you just said about him being dominant, everything you just said about him changing the dynamic at the end of that season is completely accurate. And it's not just about the aspect of the innings that he pitched. It was also the aspect of you're basically relieving some of the workload on the rest of your relief pitchers. So, for example, you already have seen this season what happens when Brad Brock and Darren O'Day cannot come into the game because they have too much wear and tear or they pitch two days straight. You need to have the ability to turn it over to someone that's a proven veteran. And Michael Gibbons is not that proven veteran. He can get you extra innings. But past that, the Orioles need to have that other veteran that can come in and take some of the wear off of it. I'm not sure if Zach Brennan's going to be that person this year. Well, Andrew Miller was also your second world-class arm in the bullpen. Sure. I mean, Zach Brennan was great. Don't Absolutely. get me wrong. But you had an arm that you could bring in in the seventh when you were in trouble. Right. You had somebody that you could bring in in the eighth when you were in trouble. He was the fireman. And I, I really, I was really hoping that Andrew Miller, the way the Orioles used him, and then the, the, the following year when he signed that deal, right. would put a stop to all this closer BS. Sure. And you take your best arm at your time of gravest need and you apply it liberally. And that's exactly what the Orioles did. Right. I would also come back to, you know, we talked about the bullpen. If we could improve the starting pitching, that's fine. And I think it raises the question of what are the Orioles trading at this moment that would be of any value to anybody? And it's got to be Trey Mancini. Yeah. As much as people don't want to trade away Trey Mancini and he fits the golden boy criteria of the Baltimore sports fan um, of being the white farm boy, basically, is the best way to describe it. Trey Mancini. Farm boy. Fetch me that pitcher. He fits the perfect <laughs> stereotype of um, trading when his value as at his max right now. And yet he may go to another team and continue to rake, but you already have a situation where you he's being blocked by Chris Davis. Yeah. He's being bark, bark, blocked by Mark Trumbo. If you were to say, hell, you know what? We're just going to go back and put Trumbo in the outfield, which, again, I'm not a big fan of. 
But let's hypothetically say you were saying, we're going to do that. We're going to keep Davis at first base. And then if you wanted to bring a DH up, you have Pedro Alvarez right now at Norfolk crushing it. Why not go ahead and do that and solidify your team with a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher and get rid of someone that, again, is at his highest value probably over the rest of his career? And and yes, we have Pedro Alvarez in the minors, and that's great. Yeah. But freeing up a spot in the lineup at DH or outfield also means more at-bats for Smith sure. and Kim yeah, and some of the other competent uh, bats that you have at your major league roster. Right. I'm not saying that Mancini is is uh, expendable. Uh, he's, he's, been not, your best, he's been your best hitter so far for this yeah. season. But the fact of the matter is you, you look at him and you say, you know, in the future, where is he going to play? Is he going to continue to play this, you know, faux uh, left field position? I'm certainly not saying that he's played it poorly, but I think it's an opportunity for the Orioles to say, do we want to play this conservatively or do we want to play this aggressively? And I think playing aggressively would be trading Trey Mancini for a really good value um, starting pitcher or relief pitcher. They have set themselves up. They, the Orioles, have set themselves up to push all of their chips in this year and next. Right. And one of those chips is Trey Mancini. Sure. Right. You you either are going to win now in this window. Yep. Or you're not. Right. And so even if it hurts later. Right. Just like with Andrew Miller. You know, if they trade Trey Mancini, I'll understand. Sure. I'll understand what they were trying to do and why they were trying to do it. And if it works, we're all going to love it. Yeah. But let me tell you something. If it doesn't, doesn't work, work, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. It's going to be <laughs> Glenn Davis all over again, basically. Or Eduardo Rodriguez right. all over again. Right. But I think that's the kind of moves. And Camden Depot brought this up. I will give them full credit for kind of kind of sparking my thought process on this. Um, but it's definitely one of those aggressive moves that the Orioles need to make. I doubt they will make it. But it's one of those those discussion points that needs to be had going into June and July. So... Uh, I, like I said, I think the Orioles have something going here. I do think they're going to need to make a move with, for one or two pieces in order to push them over the top. Um, but I do think it's not a time to panic. Um, this team has shown a resiliency, has shown the ability to come back in games and has been shown the ability to actually do really well in extra innings. Um, even if none of those things were true while the Orioles were floundering, the Yankees didn't run away with the, the division. Sure. And, you know, things got tight. The The Blue Jays right. got better. The Red Sox have been winning. The The Yankees didn't fall off the face of the earth. The Rays like are right did. there with us, too. Yeah. But, hey, the Orioles had a disastrous month. I, I'll go ahead and call it disastrous. It was a disastrous month compared to what they had in, in sure. April and where they were in the standings. And I think have come into June in a position to compete. And, yeah, I'll take that. All right. So, again— Folks, not as bad as uh, the doom and gloom is. Scott's saying don't listen to last week's episode. I will say that we are basically looking at an Orioles team that is um, very similar to previous years. So I say buckle up, Birdland, and uh, get ready for a bunch of uh, angst and animosity once again through the second half of the season. Why did we stop using the we won't stop hashtag? Mm, new PR director? I guess. All right, well... um, there was uh, other moments that happened this weekend. I think we need to cover big boy. If you don't mind. Scotty, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the, the about the situation this week. Fred Manfro. 
called his last game for the Baltimore Orioles on Sunday. And that brings an official end to his 24-year tenure with the team. And uh, I'll admit, Scotty, that I did not care toward the end for uh, Fred Manfred's play-by-play. I thought that he was often uh, too, too often behind the play, and the crowd told more of the story than he did. Uh, but I really enjoyed him, uh, both as a color commentator and as a personality in the booth to be paired with Joe Angel. Uh, I have to tell you, as someone who listens to a lot of games on the radio now, and someone who grew up listening to a lot of games on the radio, there is something special about the relationship with the voice of the team and the fans of the team. Um, and Fred talked this week about, you know, being so humbled by people stopping him at the store or in the street or wherever, and just telling him how much that they appreciated that, that little part of Orioles baseball that he represented. And I think that the cool thing about Fred Manfred is that, you know, he's, he's someone that has impacted, you know, 20 plus years, a generation of baseball fans, and then another generation of baseball fans. Um, and you know, it's cool. My son is six years old and he has gone to bed for years now listening to, uh, the dulcet tones of Fred and Joe. And so, uh, Fred Manfra retiring from the Orioles is just something that, um, you know, it's, it's something that we want to make sure that we rep, uh, we recognize and, uh, give a send off to our big boy. And Manfra is a local guy. I mean, can you imagine that? Fred Manfra, a local guy, always wanted to be involved in some way with his team. Not only did he get to live his dream, I mean, he got to live everybody's dream, right? And I think one of the cool things about Fred Manfra is that there was enough of that all G shucks in him that I think that we could all identify with sure. and and uh, experience a little bit through him and his uh, his enthusiasm for the team. Again, you know, I feel like there were plenty of times where I said, oh, you know, the play-by-play. Um, but I do want to underscore how much I did enjoy Fred Mann from the booth. And now, listening in 2017 to the radio, knowing exactly how much his voice, his presence is missed in that, in that uh, radio uh, booth, it, it's, it's uh, big. And, and our hats are off to him. Scotty, I do want to ask you a couple of questions, though. Sure. What makes a good baseball broadcaster uh witty banter humility uh ability to um basically reflect on the players and the stories that they've heard and uh puns lots and lots of puns i also think that that there if there's going to be a team and there hasn't been a single guy since you know what's been scully but um if there's going to be a team there has to be good interplay absolutely right you, you can't have a wooden uh broadcast booth i mean it comes back to to the situation with manfred and joe for example with the witty uh, bantering uh to a certain regard um our style here on this show is kind of played off of that as well um where it's basically two old guys basically mocking each other and talking a little bit about baseball yeah 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 all right let me ask you this uh with whom should the orioles replace fred manfred oh long term you're talking yeah I feel like what they're doing right now has to be a short-term arrangement. Sure, because we've talked about this, but, well, yes and no. You know Hunter really loves the radio. Okay, if if it's going to be Hunter, right? I feel like it can't be a shared resource with the television anymore. 
because I, I feel like, and this is just an opinion as a listener. Sure. Um, I feel like it's disjointed. Yes. To hear, you know, Joe and, and Jim Hunter for, you know, 80% of the time. Yes. And then Joe and some other guy, especially because the drop off. Yes. Is so great to get down to like Dave Johnson. Yes. I know. I agree with you. It's, it's the aspect of old man aspect where you like to be able to turn the dial to the station and hear it and be like, I instantly recognize who is talking to me. And by instantly telling me who is calling this game, I can say whether it's the bottom or the top of an inning as right. well. Um, it, it's really critical to Tour to, to visualize the individual talking the game through to you as opposed to being like, who is this guy talking to me? And what is going on here? And there has to be a, a certain crispness and authority to the voice as well. Something that I get with Angel, I get with Manfra, I don't really get with Hunter besides him kind of kind of talking to me, which doesn't really do anything for me. I d- look, I feel like I hate on Hunter all the time. I don't dislike Hunter. He's much better on the television. One second, this uh, break is brought to you by the Archdiocese of Baltimore. <laughs> you know, that's ironic because every time he says that, I'm basically just praying for the team. <laughs> Um, I hate him on the radio, right? Because he sugarcoats and he 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 broadcasts with orange glasses. Sure, and on which television is, that's right. fine. And you can't do the, the orange glasses stuff. on the radio. It has to be. This is exactly what's going on, as opposed to. Well, this is my opinion. Your opinion matters nothing on the radio. So even if they're going to go with Hunter, I feel like they can't share him anymore. Sure, I, I don't. Good, good lord, I don't want Hunter on the radio. But I feel like they can't share him. So. I mean, so I've got an idea. Oh, boy. I've got an idea. Well, first of all, there's a few choices. We talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I think when Manfred announced that he was going to retire last year. I do think Ben McDonald is an obvious choice. Uh, it's a question of whether or not he wants to do it. That's a lot of travel. I don't think so. I think he's very happy with his gig uh, for SEC baseball um, and going out uh, into the woods of uh, Louisiana and doing all his hunting that he does. Um, that being said, another individual that I think would be really interesting at the gig would be the voice of the Orioles, Ryan Wagner. Wow. That is very interesting. Huh? You know, he's, he's got the great voice for it. Yep. Uh, I think that Wagner would do a great job with color commentary. Yes. I'm not sure that he could do the play by play. I understand. I agree with you about this, but if you basically said we as an organization need to start growing out the aspect of, um, mentoring and or finding a potential replacement for Angel eventually, who better not to put Angel and Wagner together in the booth to kind of call games and Wagner being the voice of a new generation slash a new viewpoint and Angel being the uh, witty banter with Wag- with Wagner in terms of um, calling out the youth of uh, his generation. I was so ready to hate this idea when you said it, but it's kind of growing on me. It's kind of growing me. I, um, if, if they, mm, okay, if they don't go that way and sure. I'm, I'm willing, mm, I'm a lot more willing to, to support <laughs> that than I thought I was. Uh, if they don't go that way, do you, what do you think about just getting a straight up commentary color guy and have Joe Angel call the whole game? I, I could definitely see that. Um, I think that it does raise a question, um, to a certain regard of, um, Angel is certainly getting up there in years. And He's no spring chicken. I'm certainly concerned a little bit about how much does he have left in the tank, as well as a bunch of folks actually within the current Orioles organization in terms of how much do they have left in the tank in terms of their careers. Um, you know, 
I think Manfred caught us a little bit by surprise, but looking back on it, it's like, actually, that does make sense. Um, but you look at other folks that are kind of in the rotation, Jim Palmer, for example, who has been dealing with doing it with Masson is absolutely tremendous and definitely one of my favorite people to listen to. But man, you look at his age and you're just like, it's a factor. How many more years do we have of Jim Palmer? Is it going to be three, four, five years? I can't think it's going to be much more than that. I mean, at a certain point, um, all those supplements that he promotes and takes, uh, (laughs) isn't going to really work out well. And even Gary Thorne, for example, has been with the team since 2007. Um, but he's getting up there in age. And the question is, he's a nationally renowned announcer. So when do, does he eventually say, you know what? I've done this long enough that I'm going to go and do something else that interests me. Well, I think that uh, Gary Thorne is an interesting model because, I don't know about you, but I didn't know anything sure. about Gary Thorne before he showed up. And, you know, he's a, he's a New England guy, right? Uh, he was absolutely an outsider. We didn't we didn't know him from Adam, but I think he's become well loved in Baltimore. I mean, he he is as much our guy as any of the TV personalities I can remember. I think that if you talk to the fan base that has some bit of rationality to it and doesn't say, "Well, when the other team hits the ball hard, he doesn't basically put it down. He basically calls it the same way as he would the Orioles." I, I think. <sighs> I think those people don't know what they're talking about is the best way to describe it. Gary Thorne brings a certain colloquial witticism during the ball game that you kind of expected from Angel and Manfro from back in the radio days. I really think that uh, Gary Thorne might be the model. I think maybe, just maybe, sure, if you can't bring a, a you know Ben McDonald or some other Oriole tie-in that also has talent sure. to the job, you just need to go out and hire a professional. You go out and get somebody from the outside, and you know what? He might not be a, a Falston native like uh, uh, like uh, uh, Fred Manfred, who you know grew up in Baltimore, went to Patterson High, and all that. But just like uh, Gary Thorne, we will grow to love him or her. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you about that. I, I think it's one of those situations where um, it, we will come to grow and love them. Another question I would raise is. Um, and, and not to get to too dark is the way if Peter passes away and John takes control of the organization, what do you think the likelihood would be that John Miller could be wooed back? No, nah, he's got a home. He's got a home now. Okay. I'm, he, he's been, he's been gone so long and been doing what he does at such a high level. He doesn't have to change anything about what he does. And he, he's going to enjoy the remainder of his Hall of Fame career in a place that he loves. No, I, I don't think there's any chance or reason for him to come back. And d- don't get me wrong. Sure. I, I mean, love the guy. It's his hometown and everything. It doesn't really truly make sense. But I just I, I was raising a question based off of um, my, my own desire. That's the best <laughs> way to describe it. Fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. But I still like the Ryan Wagner idea. It's something that I've been playing with when we actually started to put this together. And I think it actually makes the most amount of sense from a long-term situation. So, um, yeah, Ryan Wagner for uh, next uh, announcer for the uh, Baltimore Orioles. I want to hate the idea so bad, and yet I cannot. Well, speaking of uh, ideas and things that you oftentimes hate, you know it's time it is, Jake. I'm just trying to stall at this point. It's time for some deep cuts (laughs) 
You know who's really good at this? Who's really good? Charlie Hoppus is amazing at deep cuts. I am not surprised whatsoever that Charlie Hoppus has a, a inherent ability to know uh, useless information. He's a renaissance man, Scott. Uh, we can call him that, but uh, no, we really can't call him that. All right, so Jake, I know you have been eagerly awaiting uh, mm-hmm. to kind of talk this through and uh, figure out everything about deep cuts this week. So Jake, uh, I will give you this much. In 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 honor of Charlie Hoppus, I decided to uh, pull this one out for him. Um, it's probably one that you've heard before, uh, but certainly one that's probably not at the very... Um, top end of the uh, category or collection that you would particularly like but l- let's see if we if you get it get it this week Hey, this is Paul McCartney. This is Paul McCartney. I don't know the tune, though. Jake, this is Temporary Secretary by Paul McCartney. What's it off of? This is from the McCartney uh, 2 album. All right. 1980-ish. Again, working heavy with the synthesizers. Kind of a flaming lip sound to it is the best way to describe it. So, Jake... We could talk about stats. And Let's we, do it. We mentioned Kevin Gossman um, earlier in the show and trying to figure out what the heck is going on with Kevin Gossman. And one of the interesting stats that I personally found is uh, the proclivity for him not to go to his split finger fastball. Um, in the past, he has been at around, we'll call it a 21 to 24% splitter uh, where he's had success in 2016. And this year, he's pretty much at a historic low, throwing his split finger um, 14% of the time in April and 13.79% of the time in in May. And I raise you this question, Jake. Jake, the split finger pitch was his best whiff pitch for years upon years upon years. And now he's gone away from it and basically has relied heavily on the four-seam fastball um, we saw this when he originally came up in the league and he tried to blow by the fastball past people. And what happened was folks just waited on the fastball and then crushed it. So Jake, um, one of the situations I want to bring up is in order for Kevin Gossman to get back to um, the pitcher that he was, he needs to get that split finger fastball um, up in usage, but also in effectiveness. And I think what's happening is since it's such a feel pitch, I think personally right now, Kevin Gossman does not have the feel for it. And once he gets the feel for it, I think that's when we're going to see the Kevin Gossman of old and we'll see that split finger raise up. When that raises up, I think we'll see the whiffs go up and I think we'll see the K rate go up. Um, and by doing so, I think Kevin Gossman will turn back into that, I wouldn't say premier pitcher, but um, top of the rotation pitcher that we were hoping for him to be this season. So I agree with you. It's a field pitch. And so let me raise some questions you and I can't possibly hope to answer. Sure. You, you try to go to, well, why? Why can't he effectively throw the split finger? Um, I, I wonder to myself. Sure. You know, he's trying to take that next step. And one of the things that we talked about a lot is the slider slash slur slash curve yep. or whatever you want to call it. Yep. Is it possible for a pitcher like Kevin Gosman trying to take that next step to work 
so hard mm-hmm. at the next pitch sure. that it takes away from what he's doing with the effective pitch. I would actually come back and point to something else, and I completely agree with you about this, that I think the slurve was focused heavily on during spring training. Um, but coming back to that point, I do think that Dave Wallace and Dom Chidi were really big um, aspects in terms of getting that split finger down very well with him. Um, and I think with them leaving and Roger McDowell coming in and really emphasizing the slider curve over the split finger, um, I think that has maybe had a detrimental impact on Kevin Gossman. You know, the other thing you don't know is it could it be a physical thing? You know, is he, does he have a you know issue with one of his fingers where it rubs the wrong way and he, he's hesitant to throw? This is one of those things that I, I don't think the general public can know. This There's is, a reason yeah. that he shied away from that split finger. And to your you know to your point, it's at the detriment of his pitching. So I, I know this is probably illegal, but what I do hear that um, in terms of the split finger, in terms of getting a grip for it, I do hear that um, taking a uh, powdered donut residue actually does help the grip of a split finger fastball. I'm pretty sure you can rub that on your forearm and now, maybe but, the underbill of your cap. Trust me, you can't. Brian Mattis confirm this with me. Oh, he, that is okay. not allowed. And he's got nothing better to do right now than to confirm bird's eye views, questions, and topics. That's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, he does exactly as well at that as he did with pitching. Exactly. <laughs> but again, I think uh, when we're watching Kevin Gossman to the mound, folks, watch when Kevin Gossman is using the split finger and watch at the proclivity and percentage that he is using it. I think it's a clear sign of whether Kevin Gossman is going to be good or bad that given day. Uh, with that, let's go through and figure out who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, folks, it's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, did you want to start off this week? I'm going to take it away. Uh, This is going to sound weird. I'm going to give my good in a non-ironic way to Richard Blyer. Mm. In three appearances over three and two-thirds innings, he stranded 100% of the runners that he was presented with and induced ground balls at a rate of 75%. He did not allow a run... And this is what you need from the Norfolk Shuttle. Innings and effectiveness. And I don't know a ton about Blyer, but if he could become an effective arm that makes at least a part-time appearance for the remainder of the season, that would be awfully nice. All right. Well, my good is going to go to Wade Miley, who I personally thought pitched an absolute gem this week. Seven innings pitched, uh, only gave up one run. Um, Not a lot of strikeouts. Um, but minimized the walks, which was a big issue from in the past. Um, 59.1% ground ball rate, rate, a lot of weak contact that entire game. Uh, Wade Miley um, really salvaged that Red Sox series. If Wade Miley did not come out and pitch the way he did that game, um, it, we would be having a totally different tune um, coming out of that Red Sox series. I can't believe I'm going to say this. He was a real bulldog. He was a bulldog. He threw a ton of pitches. He had a, a really rough inning, and you thought, oh, wow, he's going to struggle to get into the sixth, and he didn't. Can I break uh, Can I break the rules here? Sure. Honorable mention. Sure. Jonathan Scope had a great week. Jonathan Scope did have a good week. And since you're breaking the rules, 
honorable mention, Darren O'Day started to get back into a fashion where it was a rising slider once again. Uh, Darren O'Day had a lot of strikeouts this week. 12 Ks per nine in three innings pitched. Uh, 42.9% ground ball weight, which is eh. But Darren O'Day is starting to slowly craft himself back into that dominant arm once again in the bullpen. Man, look at you. You come back from being away, and suddenly Bird's Eye View is sunshine, rainbows, and lollipops. We each gave two goods. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. All right, I'm going bad. Yeah. Uh, my bad for this week was J.J. Hardy. And look, uh, there's no other way to put it. He was just objectively the worst of our starters from the offensive position. I know that it's going to be tough sledding for him, but yikes. Yikes. He was um, abysmal is the best way to describe it. He was he was so bad that Buck finally pinch hit for him in the, bo- in the bottom of the ninth when, with the game on the line. Right. I thought we would never get there. But even Buck could not deny that he just looks lost at the plate. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to give mine, though, to Chris Tillman, who continues to struggle. It looks like he finally figures it out, and then it's back to the old drawing board. I don't know when Tillman figures it out. I do like the velocity starting to increase. That's at least somewhat of a positive sign. He can get away with more mistakes that but way. But, man, the home run ball needs to stop, and it needs to stop soon because it just kills you. Um, so Chris Tillman gets my bad for the week. He would have been my ugly, but I'm giving him a little bit longer leash as he comes off of, um, I guess, an injury rehab, which, which is what he's currently pitching still. Go ahead. My ugly for this week goes to the Baltimore Orioles. They have a habit, and this is not anecdotal. Look, this is not something I'm making up. I have hard and fast evidence for this. There was a time when Sunday baseball was unwatchable, right? I think like in 2013, didn't they fail to win a Sunday home game? That sounds right. Yeah. Not that bad that I'm that a whole day of the week. But the Orioles, when they are on national or regional television, wet the bed. What is the deal with the Orioles when we are on display to a wider audience that we can't get out of our own way? That game on Fox was a sure loss as soon as I found out it wasn't going to be on Masson. The Orioles, time and time and time again, failed to come through against the likes of the Red Sox and the Yankees when we're on national television or regional television. And it just makes me the sad clown. Is that irrational? Yes. It, but it, It's irrational, but it hurts. Yeah. All right, so my ugly... Has to go to, you're going to like this one, Jake. It's got to go to Matt Shiroka. I'm sorry. Matt Shiroka's tweet this week, uh, we basically said we're going to go to the Baseball Prospectus event. He comes in and says, I will only come if all the nerds agree that the win stat is the most important stat for a pitcher because winning is the whole point of the game. We here at Bird's Eye View turn our nose up to tweets like this because this is absolutely ridiculous. By this given same uh, discussion, Michael Gibbons must be the MVP of this entire team since he has five wins and zero losses. Michael Gibbons must be literally one of the best pitchers in um, all of the Baltimore Orioles right now because of the win stat. Matt Shiroka, please keep your baseless opinion and lack of insight off this podcast and leave it to the professionals here at Bird's Eye View. Thank you. Harsh words. Harsh you words. Were, but, you were harsh but fair. But, but when you come back and say the win stat is the most important stat for a pitcher— 
you get called out. I'm sorry. Didn't the uh, didn't the Nationals uh, announcers do that as well? <sighs> oh, it's almost like Matt Shiroka may be a Nationals fan. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when Alfredo Simone had like 16 wins? Uh, no, I choose not to remember that. Or is it Alfredo or whatever? He changed his name. Simon. Simon, yes. Clearly, uh, every single MLB front office valued the Winstead as much as Matt Shroka did. And next, clearly the save stat. Clearly. All right, well, with that, I think it's time we go ahead and blow the save. Scotty, I posted a picture of myself in embarrassing fashion this week. That's not new. <laughs> no, no, clearly not. Uh, I I pictured myself in uh, Kansas City Royals gear, which I don every weekend. Uh, that was a great smile, by the way. Coaching my kids' t-ball team. And it, it's funny because I was thinking about how awful that feels and how crappy I feel when I have to throw on that KC hat because of my feelings associated with the Kansas City uh, ALCS from 2014. And it got me to thinking that you and I, Scott, as men of a certain age, don't care enough or at least aren't sympathetic enough to the fans that are going to be really uncomfortable this week as the Orioles take on the Pirates. I know you've talked a lot about your family, your dad, yeah, and, and how big that series was, but there is a big, big segment of the Baltimore Orioles fan base that is going to retch if we lose this series to the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so the Orioles, I must implore you, please treat us well in this series with the Pirates. Remember that we are family and that you must avenge a very painful wound for a certain number of our fans. For every ill will that I hold for new and fresh wounds, there are old and and ingrained wounds in fans just a little older than we are. And uh, birds, you owe it to them. You couldn't come through in 79. Let's make them pay every chance we get. Or... What was it, 71? I think it was 71. It was 79 and 71. Really? Yeah. Twice. Um, I'm surprised you didn't talk about the rivalry game on Thursday either. I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> well, uh, anything else that you want to do for blowing the save? I have nothing left. All right. Well, let's go ahead and uh, let's wrap this up because, I'm um, Jake, I'm just going to tell you, um, me being gone a week, we have definitely gone over our show's allotment. So go ahead. <laughs> That's our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birdseyeview is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network and also on baseballtalkradio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We appreciate it and it helps establish what we call social proof. Take a look at us on social media and engage with us, please. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google Plus, and on Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us and to yell at us is on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. I missed you, Scotty. You will always be my big boy. Welcome back.
you still here? It's over. Go home. Go.